Please take your Bibles this morning. Join me in Genesis chapter 4. We're doing a series through Genesis. In chapter 3, we had the fall of mankind. Sin has entered the world. In chapter 4, things have gone from bad to worse in a hurry. Because in our flesh there dwelleth no good thing. We have the record of two of Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, likely twins. They both bring an offering before the Lord. God had respect unto Abel and his offering, but God had not respect unto Cain and his offering. Abel came in faith through blood. He offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, the Bible says. Cain brought an offering of the fruits of the ground. It was a bloodless sacrifice. I believe this pictured his confidence in his own self-righteous works. By faith, Abel was righteous, but Cain was wicked. 1 John 3.12 lets us know that that's the reason Cain killed his brother Abel. Because Abel's works were righteous, but Cain's were wicked. And Abel becomes the first martyr for his faith. And remember, Satan's at work behind the scenes. He's trying to prevent the promised seed from arriving. God tried to reason together with Cain, but Cain was arrogant, flippant about the whole matter. At no point does he show any remorse. He's not at all broken over his sin. As a result... God could no longer deal with Cain in his mercy, in his grace, but God now must deal with Cain after his punishment and judgment. We saw last week the curse that God put upon Cain. God said to Cain, When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. God had cursed Cain to a life of wandering never to have a bountiful harvest again. Remember, up to this point, that had been his life. Cain was a farmer. But none of this softened his heart. Instead, he was only concerned about himself, and he complains to God and says, My punishment is greater than I can bear. And We saw at the beginning of verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. He dwelt in the land of Nod, which means the land of wanderings. Could very well be the land got its name because that's where Cain went. And the emphasis last week was there's no peace or rest away from God. But there is a rest to the children of God. We have ceased from our own works because we trust in the finished work of Christ upon the cross. We have rest unto our souls. We have a peace from God which the world cannot give. It is a peace that passes all understanding. Well, let's pick this account back up today by reading verses 16 through 26. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. 
And unto Enoch was born Irad or Erad. I'm going to say Irad, if that's all right with y'all. And Irad begat Mehuyael, and Mehuyael begat Methusael, not to be confused with Methuselah. And Mehusael begat Lamech. Listen, there's no Bubba's in there, amen? Just... <laughs> and Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Adah, or Ada, And the name of the other, Zillah. And Adabar, Yabal, or Jabal. And he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth... To him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Boy, there's a lot here. We begin today in verse 17 where we see Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. Not the same Enoch that we read of in the next chapter. And this is where those who think they are smarter than the Bible like to ask the age-old question, where did Cain get his wife? People ask you like, I got you now. <laughs> like they're really going to prove the Bible's wrong and stump all of us Christians for being dumb enough to believe the Word of God. They act like it's as hard to figure out as how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. <laughs> Yeah, remember the 1982 commercial? The little boy goes up to the turtle. Mr. Turtle, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? I don't know. I always bite it. Go ask Mr. Owl. Mr. Owl, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? Takes the lollipop from the kid. And he licks it once. One, a two, a three. And then hands the stick back to the boy and says three. And then you hear that narrator come on, you know. How many licks does it take to get to this Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. I don't know where you send your kids to college, but there's colleges that have actually tried to figure that out. <laughs> Swarthmore College, good name. It takes an average of 144 licks. <laughs> Purdue University, 252. <laughs> University of Michigan, 411. 
Yeah, it's not Michigan State, brother, but whatever. He's even wearing green, for crying out loud. And if you really want to get deep into this, the University of Florida went absolutely insane with their formulas. It's too complicated to even try to explain. So that's where your tuition money's going. Look, you're not getting this at the other church. Now, the problem with the question, where did Cain get his wife, is usually there's a lot of false assumptions. When, when people are trying to say that in a, in a negative way. I, th- I think it's a good question in and of itself, but usually people try to ask it to disprove the Bible. For example, since no other births are recorded here, then no one else has been born. That's an assumption. Some people assume... Cain and Abel were the only two children alive by the time we get to verse 17. Therefore, other people must have been in existence somewhere that did not descend from Adam and Eve. They also assume Cain didn't find a wife until he got to the land of Nod. The Bible doesn't say any of this. And it's a big problem theologically to assume that other people were on the earth who did not descend from Adam and Eve because the Bible is clear that we have inherited our sin nature from Adam and that Christ has come to save Adam's helpless race. So if there are those who are not from Adam, who is their Savior? So it's a problem. It's actually a big problem. The Apostle Paul writes that Christ is the last Adam. Some people assume there's no time gap in this account. But verse 3 begins with, and in process of time. Well, how much time does that mean? You don't know and I don't know. We're we're not told, but Cain and Abel had to be born. They had to be raised to maturity. They had to learn their jobs. They had to be old enough to bring an offering before the Lord. For sure, many years have passed. In Exodus 2.23, where this phrase, in process of time, is used, it appears to cover the entire 40-year time span that Moses is in Midian. Here's something to consider. This chapter closes with the birth of Seth. And in chapter 5, we'll find out that Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. And since Seth was viewed by Eve as the replacement seed to Abel, it's very likely that Seth was born soon after the death of Abel. Maybe just a year or two later. We don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, and we aren't told how long it was afterwards that they began to have children, but there could have easily been 120 years after the birth of Cain and Abel until the time when Cain killed Abel. That's that's a lot of time to populate. You can get a lot of people in that time. I remember reading an article, a lady who had lived over 120 years in the Middle East. And it just so happened I was studying about the length of life, and anyway, so it perked my interest. I read it, and she had over 400 descendants just from her. And the last two generations, at least, were in this era of birth control and all the rest. I don't know why I'm sharing this with you, but here you go. (laughs) According to the Guinness Book of World Records, for some reason this popped in my head. I remember reading this as a kid. The most children ever born to one mother was, does anybody know the answer? 69. That doesn't even sound possible, does it? She's only known as the wife of Fyodor Vasilyev. We don't even know her first name. 
Who had all those people? It's the wife of that guy down there. She is said to have had 27 pregnancies, giving birth to 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, four sets of quadruplets. And, and hey, the guy had two wives. He had 87 children altogether. I mean, you talk about cha-ching when you do your taxes. Amen. He's <laughs> got $87,000. Amen. Carson was due at the end of December, and I was like, Lord, let him come before January 1st. I need that tax refund. Amen. <laughs> the point is, there were plenty of people in existence by the time Cain is cursed to wander the earth, because at the end of verse 14, Cain is wondering about all those who may find him to kill him. Right. He says, everyone that findeth me. So who were those on the earth to find him and kill him? Well, it would have been all the children born to Adam and Eve. Their descendants during that approximate 120 year time frame. And depending on what year they began to produce children, we could be several generations into humanity by now. I won't bore you with all the various calculations because there's many, but there could have easily been several thousand people upon the earth, and some people have it way more than that. So, where did Cain get his wife? <laughs> well, we aren't told specifically, but Cain very likely married his sister there's a remote chance that he may have married a niece because of how many were probably on the earth that we, we don't even think about. But still, in order to get God's command to be fruitful and multiply going, at some point a brother had to marry a sister. Now we hear that and we go, ugh, gross. But in their day, it was all relative. Come on, that was funny. That, that was funny. <laughs> Acts 17, 26 says that God hath made of one blood all nations for men, of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. In other words, we are all related in a technical sense because we all go back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Keep in mind that in the beginning there was a genetically pure line. There wasn't the problems associated with incest, with birth defects, birth defects, and things of that nature. And God's law forbidding these kinds of marriages won't be given until some 2,500 years down the road. So until the law, there was 2,500 years of close relative marriages, like West Virginia. I'm only teasing, chill, I'm only teasing. In fact, Abraham, who lived after the great flood, received his promise from God 430 years before Israel left Egypt, he's, he says that he married the daughter of his father, but not of his mother. He married his half-sister. Some say it may have been his niece, but we'll deal with that later. God gave the law to Moses, but it says of Moses' own parents that his father Amran married Jochebed, who was his father's sister. So this was very common early on. And if you just think of the Mississippi River, it'll kind of help you have peace with this whole issue. There's hundreds of tributaries that make their way into the Mississippi River, and it picks up all those pollutants across 31 states, and it makes its way to the Gulf of Mexico. And when it empties out, there's a place there called the dead zone. From all the pollution and all the herbicides, all this stuff that it picks up along the way. But if you go to the headwaters of the Mississippi, it's very clean. 
It's very clear. It's, it's much more pure. The problem is people try to look at the world back then through our lens now. And you can't do that. So the, the gene pool was cleaner, it was pure, it was closer to the headwaters of humanity. All right, would you agree we have spent way too much time answering a question that is really easy to answer? Where did Cain get his wife? He married his sister. Get over it. Move on. Well, in verses 17 through 24, we get this lineage of Cain. This is not all that would be born from his line, but we are getting these highlights. There's some very interesting observations that we can make as we go through this and try to draw out of these verses as we watch his genealogy progress. In verse 17, Cain's wife gives birth to a son named Enoch. Enoch means initiated or dedicated. And we see in verse 17 that Cain begins to build the first city. Cain is initiating or dedicating a whole new way of life where God is not wanted or needed as he sees it in his mind. But wait a minute. Why is Cain building a city? What did God say his curse would be? You're supposed to wander. You'll be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And here we find Cain trying to put down roots. He's building a city. He's still in rebellion against God. He's saying, I'm not going to be wandering anywhere. He's probably also seeking a place of protection. He's putting a wall up around that thing because he's concerned people are going to find him and kill him. He's living in fear. Now, we don't know if he was successful to stay put. The Hebrew word for build it can indicate to begin to build. It could be that he never finished it. Based on God's curse, even if he did finish it, I doubt he was able to stay put. He probably eventually wandered on to somewhere else. Well, in verse 18, Irad is born to Enoch. Irad means a fugitive. Some define it as a wild donkey. Despite Cain's efforts to settle down, his grandson is still called a fugitive just like Cain was. Irad has a son named Mahuyael, which means smitten of God. With the refusal of God, this line of Cain is becoming worse and worse. Some say that this means to blot out God. In other words, we're going to remove God from being God. we, We don't need God. We don't want God. Let's wipe out that He's God. Mehuyael has a son named Methusael which some say means man who is of God. And if if that's true, then this could be one within this line that has turned to God. And it just so happens it's the fourth generation of this curse. That's interesting. Deuteronomy 5.9 says, For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But there's, there's very strong reason to believe that this name means something to the effect of, I'm a mortal man, where's God? Hitchcock's Bible Names Dictionary defines it as 
One who demands His death. The idea here is, we all die, so what does it pay to follow God? If you're in Christ, you're going to die. If you're outside of Christ, you're going to die. So why don't we all just eat, drink, and be merry? Methusael has a son named Lamech. Again, not the same as the one in chapter 5. Lamech means lowly or humiliating. Things are continuing to get worse in the line of Cain. As we see by by what is mentioned about Lamech's life. We've gone from initiating a new way of life to a wild man to smitten of God to what is the point in God to humiliating. This is how a family line progresses without God. It gets lowly and it gets humiliating. And with Lamech, we have the first record of polygamy in verse 19. And when there's a breakdown in the family, there will inevitably be a breakdown in society. He marries Addo, and that means an ornament. That's good. He also marries Zillah, which means a shadow. And, and this is why polygamy never works. One wife is an ornament, and the other ends up in the shadows. No man can serve two masters. He'll hold to the one, despise the other, or else he'll hate one, and he'll love the other. You cannot have two ornaments in your life. Listen to me, you men especially. It doesn't take polygamy to be guilty of this. You can entertain another lustful interest and your spouse will end up just becoming a shadow. And poor woman is stuck wondering, why can't I please my man? Why doesn't he have any desire toward me? Because you've become a shadow and he's got an ornament over here. If you're married, hear me well you have no reason to entertain another lustful interest. You need to eliminate all private and or recreational communication with the opposite sex. I know there's exceptions. I know what happens on the workplace. I was in the military for 21 years. I get it. People barge in. I understand their situations. But you need to cut that off both in person and on social media. Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in the Revelation, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Don't allow the one God has given you to fade into the shadows. If you do, you'll become lowly and humiliated in the process because there are repercussions. And while we're discussing Lamech, let's go ahead and see what is said about him in verses 23 and 24, and then we'll come back and look at his children And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, surely Lamech seventy and sevenfold. So Lamech here admits to killing two men. Some think it's just one. I I believe it's two. Especially since he's saying, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, I'm going to be avenged, avenged seventy-seven times. Perhaps he felt he was more protectable since he seems to have killed somebody after being wounded and hurt. 
We don't know that he killed in self-defense. This is probably something that went over the top and, and he's retaliating and murdering somebody. But, but here's what we know. Killing, violence is now being glorified. This is a poem. This is a song. This is something he's writing to broadcast and, and to let people know what a man he is. He's glorifying violence. There's no regard for life. That which is evil is now being called good. That which is good is being called evil. And we see how wicked Cain's lineage has become. Well, look at Lamech's children. In verse 20, Adah gave birth to Jabal. And we're told he was the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as have cattle. Well, Jabal means a stream or a water course indicating that which glides away. The picture is someone who is always on the move. Does that sound familiar to Cain's curse? And it makes sense that he's called this because he is the father of them that dwell in tents, which means he's the, he began the nomadic way of life. And he's also producing cattle now for his income. So he started the, the nomads, if you will. We see that he's relating, looking like his, Cain's curse. And some see this as Jabal being a man who, I don't want to be accountable to anybody. I'm just going to go live on my own. Does that sound like some young people today? Sounded like me when I was that age. I don't want to be accountable. I'm just going to do my own desires. I'm going to be my own person. And so he becomes a nomad and an independent producer of cattle for commercial purposes. Ada also gave birth. And by the way, God's never said go to start eating meat yet. It may be implied. But remember in the beginning they were to eat the vegetables and the seeds and the fruits. Just a thought. I don't know if there's anything to that or not. Ada also gave birth to Jubal in verse 21. And as you may imagine, his name is very closely related to Jabal's name. Uh, and so Jubal means to flow. Hitchcock defines it as he that runs. Jubal was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. This is likely indicating that he invented stringed instruments and wind instruments. He was a musician. Some might say that he was an entertainer. He started the music industry, if you will. In verse 22, Lamech's other wife, Zillah, gave birth to Tubal-Cain, which means possessed by the world. He was an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. That Hebrew word for instructor is to hammer out an edge and sharpen. And so Tubal Cain was a metal worker who made weapons. Now people can find a way to establish themselves in the earth, guarantee their position, they can dominate and control people. The last person mentioned in Cain's lineage at the end of verse 22 is the only daughter mentioned. She is Tubal Cain's sister, and her name is Naamah, which means pleasantness and pleasurable. Well, that sounds pretty good. But there's a reason we're told this. You know, here's this beautiful woman being born in this wicked lineage. 
I think this is significant because when we get to chapter 6, we read in verse 2, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair or they were good looking, they were beautiful. And they took them wives of all which they chose. We'll say more when we get to chapter 6 when half of you can get mad at me for what I don't agree with you on. Now, let me attempt to put this all together. Thank you for your patience. Let's get to some preaching here. As we study the line of Cain, we see it spiraling downward. But even though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, I want you to understand that these were intelligent men. This account is completely opposite of the evolutionary theory teaching. Forget about the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age. Men didn't have to slowly become more and more sophisticated. I remember being in in high school and our science teacher talking about evolution and me thinking, what? This makes absolutely no sense. And I even went to him and said, I don't want to sit through this. And I didn't know you had the right to do that. But he's like, okay, just go sit over there in the other class. Sweet. <laughs> Play paper football, you know. Um, these men were smart. They didn't have to go from hunter-gatherers to farmers. That, that's what we're told. They, they didn't go from, <clears throat> to, hey, how's it going? They weren't grunting, okay? They weren't Tim Allen in tool time. I mean, they, 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 were, they were able to communicate. They didn't go from drawing these rudimentary looking things in the cave to all of a sudden, you know, millions of years later, concocting a written language. They didn't accidentally discover fire. Oh man, lightning came down, it's burning. Oh well, we can cook with that. Oh, sweet. Now, I've always wanted to be there when they discovered popcorn. Just wonder what that had to be like. Did somebody be like, oh, that corn, that's no good. Threw it in the fire. (laughs) 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 You eat it. (laughs) Listen, these these were not cavemen. They built cities. They farmed. They raised livestock. They invented musical instruments. They were gifted in metalwork. Here's the point. Here's what I want you to get. But their problem was all of the attention was on their development, their abilities, their talents, with no attention on God. They didn't have any need for God in their minds. Ecclesiastes 7.29, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. That almost sounds opposite, doesn't it? Psalm 106, 39. Thus were they defiled with their own works and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with those things that we talked about, right? There's nothing wrong with advancements when used for God's glory. But in this chapter, this is a case of these things being used by these, this wicked lineage to draw them away from God, to keep their mind from God, and, and, and they're trying to replace God. Early in this chapter, we find that there was a consciousness of God. Eve gives birth to Cain and she says, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And then we'll see at the end, as I read, that she gives birth to Seth and then men began to call upon the Lord. 
But here we have this lineage of Cain and all these things that are taking place and there is no consciousness of God whatsoever. They made their livelihood and their industry their God. Their careers, let me put it in our language. They became so technologically savvy, they lost their focus on God. They saw no need for the true God. In essence, they became humanist. Now, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. But what we just looked over this morning, that ought to remind you of America. We have become so technologically advanced that as a nation, we see no need for God. Now, we're still okay if Christianity exists. So long as we keep God out of our government and out of our public schools. You can have your Christianity over there, but don't you let it come over here and affect policy. And we think we're so smart with all of these advancements and all this progress and science so-called, and yet people don't even know how to pronounce the book of Job. Or Psalms. Psalms. I could say in the average church, turn to the book of Hezekiah and people start looking for it. It's not even a book. All of this advancement, but a lack of the knowledge of God. Which means a lack of wisdom. All of this advancement, but no concern for God. And now humanism is the religion of our day, which is the non-existence or irrelevancy of God, where man is now the center of all things, and where society says there are no moral absolutes or values. You've heard me say it, but if you want to stump the world when they say there's no absolutes, just ask them, are you absolutely sure? Well, no, what I meant was, uh, well. Their technology kept them preoccupied. And it keeps us preoccupied. They saw the breakdown of the home, and guess what? We are seeing the breakdown of the home. They saw violence glorified. We're seeing violence glorified. How many of you remember when you were a kid, you played pinball machines? Now games are so realistic that there are some men that come back from combat, they can't even play them. Gives them flashbacks. PTSD. So much blood being spilled out and splattered. and We're glorifying it. And that's just one example. These are very interesting comparisons because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And I think that Jesus' emphasis was that people were just going about life with no thought of God because Jesus went on to say of that time, for in the days of Noah before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And, And we are a people now who are just continuing along. We're just fine without God. We have no consciousness of God. We're preoccupied in all of our technology. Some of you probably have already checked your phone during this message. I feel like preaching right there. Let me borrow some angry Baptist statement. Get off Facebook and get your face in the book. Those cantankerous Baptists, (laughs) I love them. We're eating, we're drinking, we're marrying, 
And God is just fading more and more out of the picture. 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Hey, the sun's still rising, it's still setting, the rains are still falling, the seasons are still changing, the crops are springing up, life is continuing on, just like it always has. So what's the big deal about this God stuff? What's all this talk about the Lord's return? Well, Peter goes on to say, for this they willingly are ignorant. And he talks about the great flood that destroyed the earth the first time when man departed from God. For sure the lost world is willingly ignorant of God's great flood. We'll talk about that when we get there. He judged the world in His wrath. And now life is just going on. Like, who's this God fellow? And, and they're willingly ignorant because they say all things are continuing as they did from creation. No, they're not. 4,500 years ago, God destroyed this earth. And you know what Peter is trying to get across to them? Destruction is on the way again. Before the flood, we read in Genesis 6-5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the direction we're currently heading in. Psalm 10 in verse 4, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. Meanwhile, God's judgment is still on the way. And He's going to unleash His wrath upon this earth. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Are you ready for that day? And, and listen, don't let all this discourage you. God is still at work when, the, when it's growing dark. In fact, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Their world was growing darker due to sin. Our world is growing darker due to sin. But God has always had His lights. Look at verses 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. We'll have to say more about this next time. I'm, I'm out of time. But God was going to bring the promised seed through the line of Seth. Christ would be born into this world just as God had promised. Jesus would live a sinless life, willingly lay down His life for sinners that we might be reconciled to God. And He did this through His precious blood. He died, was buried, He rose again. He's now ascended to God's right hand. We can be saved from the wrath to come through faith in Christ. And while our world is getting darker just as theirs was, and although judgment is on the way, listen, Christ is on the way again. 
But this time it will not be as the gentle Lamb of God. It will be as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. This time He will not arrive as a humble servant, but He will come as a conquering King. And the Bible asks the question, and who shall be able to stand? Are you ready? Or are you distracted? You've got all your advancements. You've got all your creature comforts in life, all your technology. Are you worshiping Him or is humanism your God? Are you walking with Him or are you forsaking Him? Would you pray with me, please?